Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup episode 91. This is where we round up the week's most important tech, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andile Masugu and we're back. Now I know that in a sense we didn't disappear over the holidays, but uh, many of you who stuck with us over the past month know that we didn't cover the biggest tech and innovation headlines each week, but instead delivered sneak previews from season 6 of the African Tech Conversation series, uh, which of course you can catch right now at africantechroundup.com uh, or by searching for African Tech Conversations wherever you're listening to this podcast. And so anyway, with the team back from holiday, we're officially back to our normal programming. Now, later on in the show, I'll be chatting with Nicholas Stewart. He is the founder and CEO of the Swazi Bridge Project. He attended the world's biggest tech show, CES 2017, in Las Vegas two weeks ago, and he'll be sharing some insights he gleaned from the event. Now, we'll also do our best to catch up on some of the biggest stories that broke while we were on break, including Standard Bank Acquiring Firepay, you know, the company behind the SnapScan payments app, the George Soros-backed VC Leapfrog uh, aiming to raise $800 million to invest in Africa, and the Nigerian fintech startup Paystack closing a $1.3 million US dollar seed investment round involving Tencent, Comcast Ventures, and Singularity Investments. Now, that's all coming up, but first... This episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by GoDaddy. Now, GoDaddy makes registering domain names fast, simple, and affordable. They're the world's largest domain registrar, trusted by over 13 million customers around the world, and provide everything you need to get your business up and running online, including award-winning 24-7 support. Now, to save 30% on a new domain name or to use any of their other services, go to trygodaddy.com forward slash African Tech. Again, that's trygodaddy.com forward slash African Tech to save yourself 30%. Right, so let's see. Let's catch up on the biggest news from the past month or so. First up, some encouraging investment news. Now, the George Soros-backed VC fund uh, Leapfrog has announced their plans to raise $800 million to secure stakes in African banks, insurance brokers, and mobile payments companies to tap into rising demand among low-income consumers. Now, the Washington-based development financing unit of the U.S. government, the Overseas Private Investment Corporation, has approved an investment of as much as $200 million in the fund. Now, billionaire George Soros invested in LeapFrog's first fund, the $400 million LeapFrog Financial Inclusion Fund, through his Soros Economic Development Fund, which, by the way, still has some money to spend. Uh, but LeapFrog is remaining tight-lipped on just how much the Soros Economic Development Fund has sunk into their second fund. But most pundits around the continent agree uh, that this is a big deal, uh, given the sheer size of Africa's unbanked populations uh, and, of course, statistics that point to about two-thirds of Africa's population uh, you know, uh, earning between 2 and $10 a day, as well as the fact that the continent's middle class is still less than 15%. Um, it, there's no doubt that the next few years are going to be huge for tech-driven financial innovation on the continent. Uh, but staying with fintech investment news, uh, South Africa's RAND Merchant Investment Holdings, RMI, well, they're the mothership that own a controlling interest in outsurance as well as a significant stake in Discovery and MMI. Now, they closed an international deal to buy 29.9% of the UK digital motor insurance provider Hastings Group. 
for between 487 and 499 million pounds. And that makes them the biggest single shareholder in that particular business. Now, Hastings is a digital general insurance provider that operates principally in the British motor market. Uh, It's said to have 6.4% of the UK private car insurance market under their belt. And that translates to about just under 2.3 million live customer policies. Now, RMI already has a number of investments in insurance businesses in South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, and indeed the UK. But this is easily one of the larger ones. So uh, RMI is also the corporate force behind South Africa's leading fintech accelerator slash incubator, AlphaCode. Uh, they're based in uh, Santon, Johannesburg. So we'll definitely be keeping an eye on their moves in 2017. Never a dull moment over at RMI, it seems. Meanwhile, Standard Bank South Africa has acquired Firepay. They're the company behind Snapscan, uh, the popular cashless, cardless payment app that uses QR codes to initiate payments through a user's phone. Now, Annoyingly, the details of the deal remain undisclosed, um, but one can only surmise that it's uh, not an astronomical sum, given the fact that uh, Standard Bank as a listed company would have been you know, forced to disclose it if it was significant. Nevertheless, uh, Firepay uh, has assured users that SnapScan will continue to be available uh, to users of other banks as well. Uh, The app supports credit cards and and most debit cards from South African banks, as well as 3D secure-enabled international bank cards. Now, Firepay is expected to operate independently of Standard Bank, and they've indicated that they'll continue to develop and expand their offerings. To Nigeria now, where the fintech startup Paystack uh, has closed a 1.3 million US dollar uh, seed investment round, which roped in quite a few high-profile international investors, including Tencent, Comcast Ventures, as well as Singularity Investments. Now, Paystack is a payment solution for the global e-commerce platform Shopify, and they aim to open up the e-commerce market for thousands of Nigerian online retailers. The startup is the brainchild of a Y Combinator alumnus uh, named Shola Akinlade. Uh, his aspirations for the business include expanding to the rest of the continent once uh, Nigeria has been conquered. Uh, it's hard not to see the potential of a service that allows merchants to sign up and receive live you know, platform agnostic payments from customers within something like 30 minutes of integration. That sounds pretty good. Definitely looking forward to having Paystack grow across the continent and make their way to South Africa. To Egypt now, where uh, a relatively new VC fund called Algebra Capital is busy raising $50 million. Now, according to uh, the Egyptian investor Ziad Mokhtar, $40 million had already been raised by the end of 2016. Now, Algebra Capital was founded in 2015 by uh, KI Angels uh, Khaled Ishmael, along with Tarek Assad and Ziad Mokhtar, who are both principals at Developers. Now, it's said that um, Algebra will target Series A and B investments primarily in technology startups. So it'll be interesting to see what they get stuck into in 2017. Now for two noteworthy deals in the recruitment space, starting with the Kenyan career development startup Fuzu, which boasts a community of over 180,000 users in Kenya. Now they've raised $1.88 million in funding from investors including FinFund and Barona. Uh, They plan to use the money to expand on the continent and into Asia. Now, they launched in 2015 through the backing of the Rockefeller Foundation and in partnership with Accenture. But since then, Fuzu has helped thousands of users learn new skills and find jobs. And where exactly in Africa and Asia they plan to expand remains to be seen. But definitely with traction like they've enjoyed so far, uh, one can only hope they'll do well. Meanwhile, uh, in Egypt, the Egyptian online recruitment platform Wuzuf has acquired the job assessment startup Verify. Uh, That's Verify spelled V-I-R-I-P-H-I. 
Um, they've done so for an undisclosed sum. How annoying. Now, that's left room for speculation as to why Barshasoft, uh Verify's parent company, would actually sell. Would it be to, to fund a buyout of some kind, uh, you know, to, to release some of its investors? Now, you might recall that Barshasoft closed a Series A funding round at the end of 2015. That was worth about $1.7 million. That was led then by uh, Vostok New Ventures, as well as the UK-based Pitten Capital. Now, I do wish we had a, a more open culture on the continent when it came to disclosure around mergers and acquisitions uh, within our startup ecosystem. Now, if any of you know more than we do about any of the quote-unquote undisclosed sums we've cited so far, please drop us an email at hello at africantechroundup.com. Now, here's one last significant piece of fintech news uh, that dropped during the last month. Uh, a non-for-profit currency scheme called Stella, uh, which is financed by Stripe and other leading global fintech players, is currently being held as potentially one of the most promising global money transfer networks ever to leverage blockchain technology. It's been built to target the world's largest remittance markets. Now, Stella has partnered uh, with four key institutions to enable low-cost global money transfers, uh, and those are namely India's largest private sector bank, ICICI Bank, uh, Coins.ph in the Philippines, Tempo Money Transfer to serve 35 European countries, and Flutterwave uh, in Nigeria, uh, who plan to use uh, the Stellar Network to support cross-border payments for M-Pesa in Kenya, Ghana, as well as Nigeria. Now, transactions processed on the Stellar Network are said to take only about three to five seconds to complete. And they remain extremely low cost, regardless of the size of the payment amount. And so these attributes uh, position the platform to perform pretty well in terms of facilitating international remittances. Now, intermediaries beware, this is going to be an interesting year um, certainly uh, for long-standing incumbents in the banking industry, because the pressure from new players clearly will not let up. And now on to some important media platform news. The relatively new conglomerate uh, Ringier One Africa Media is reorganizing its portfolio on the African continent. Now, I suppose that news is not uh, totally unexpected given how mergers often result in corporate weight loss. Because you might recall that in May last year, Ringia Africa merged with One Africa Media to create what they called then um, Africa's largest classifieds group. Since then, they've shut down quite a few job sites. Uh, Brighter Monday Rwanda, Cheki Tanzania. They've also indicated that Cheki Zimbabwe, Cheki Zambia, as well as Cheki Uganda uh, are likely to close as well. It appears that the group is looking to focus on consolidating uh, their business in a few key markets, uh, probably Nigeria, Ghana, probably Kenya as well. They probably plan to sort of you know settle down uh, make sure they've got those uh, key markets on, on lock before expanding into other into other smaller markets. You know, it's just another reminder that Africa is not a country, folks. You can't just copy and paste things and think you'll win. It's worth mentioning that Ringia won Africa Media's biggest competition on the continent in the classified space. Uh, that would be Nasper's. They've pretty much gone through a similar slim and trim drive uh, to try and bring back the good times in as far as their classifieds business are concerned. So let's see what kind of a year 2017 turns out to be uh, for these two classifieds giants. Perhaps this is demonstrating that trying to dominate by being in every country on the continent isn't a winning strategy. And so how about this for innovation in the consumer tech space? The uh, UK-based provider of Paygo Solar Home Systems, Azuri Technologies, and the home entertainment satellite provider, Zuku, have launched a complete pay-as-you-go satellite TV package that's targeting uh, Kenyan households that are currently living off the grid. Now, for roughly $1.43 a day, uh, households can access a 24-inch TV, 
satellite dish, a Zuku decoder, uh, along with an entertainment package which comes with 48 TV and 21 radio channels. Now, in addition to getting up to five hours of normal viewing per day and four bright home lights, the deal includes mobile phone charging and a rechargeable portable radio. Now, initially, the service will only be available in selected regions of central Kenya, but uh, rollouts are planned uh, for the rest of the country uh, throughout 2017. They're no doubt targeting the over 5 million households that are currently living off the grid. Now, I like this innovation because um, it's eye level, it's grassroots, it's clever, it's simple. It's, to me, the, the truest and most useful form of innovation, the kind that uh, the average uh, citizen of the country can enjoy. And uh, not to, you know, slight any other kind of innovation, but I feel that's just the best kind, the best kind for the planet, you know. So uh, big up to them for this initiative, yeah. Uh, to Cape Town, South Africa now, where the city has celebrated uh, the delivery of free Wi-Fi to just over a million users who collectively have used uh, 24.7 terabytes of data at an average download speed of 30 megabits per second from across uh, 363 Wi-Fi zones in the city. Now, according to city officials, the top four most commonly used applications on the service have been YouTube, Google, Facebook, and of course, WhatsApp. And so far, the city of Cape Town is pretty satisfied that the $14.7 uh, million of capital allocation for its broadband network rollout project is being well spent. Uh, it's keeping them on track to achieving the broader aim of making Cape Town the most digitally connected city in Africa. Now, that's not a title I expect any of the other great cities on the continent to forego without, uh, you know, without a fight. So, um, But more, more power to them for, for truly... Uh, taking uh, broadband to the people, making it mainstream. A big thumbs up to the city of Cape Town. And now for one last item before I squeeze through some international news items uh, that trended over the holiday. To my homeland, Zimbabwe, where my countrymen and women are no doubt breathing a sigh of relief as mobile network tariff increases instituted last week following a government directive were hastily reversed following public dissent on social media over the matter. Now, following the government directive to raise prices, Econet Wireless, uh, which is, of course, the biggest mobile telco in Zimbabwe, um, had started charging $5 per 250 megabytes of data. This is up from just $1 per 250 uh, megabytes of data. Now, thankfully, those charges didn't last long. And in a statement made by the country's ICT minister, uh, he said that the government and the telecommunications regulator, Portraz, had agreed to scrap the new floor prices for telecom services. Thank goodness. So it's back to $1 per 250 megabytes uh, for data, uh, at least for now. And let's hope it stays that way for the foreseeable future. And so, yeah, now for some uh, international news items. Uh, let's see. Um, perhaps let's start with Yahoo or Altaba or I think that's what they've decided to call themselves. Um, I don't know how many of you were surprised and or disappointed to find out that the the massive Yahoo hack that um, uh, we, we all found out about last year uh, was in fact bigger and worse than we all imagined. Sensitive data of no less than 1 billion email accounts, folks, uh, compromised. Uh, that's billion with a B. Um, one just has to spare a thought for that poor Marissa Mayer who's had a run from hell trying to turn Yahoo around. I mean, Altaba, whatever they call it, um, Altaba, Alta, just a horrible name. Uh, anyway, um, I was thinking the other day, like, what's she going to do next, you know, um, after ha after taking a really long nap, you know, after taking a really long nap, it'll be interesting to see what Marissa Mayer does next. 
because yeah, there's just so many fundamentals working against her at, at Yahoo. She probably made some bad judgment calls as well, but um, one has to feel for for her uh, in terms of just how badly that's all turned out. It's up to for it's up to Verizon now and Alibaba to carry on selling pieces of Yahoo away and and keeping what they can to 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 monetize. It should be interesting to see what Altaba turns into in, in due course. And uh, hey, hey Uber, uh, we see you over there in San Fran. Rolling out self-driving cars that aren't quite ready for real life. <laughs> and maybe it's, it's humans, actually. Shame. Maybe it's humans that aren't quite ready for, for self-driving cars, you know. So um, either way, uh, I, I give them 10 out of 10 for effort. I'll give, I'll give the folks at Uber 10 out of 10 for effort because, um, yeah, it, it's, it's quite a gutsy thing that they, they tried to pull off in, in just putting them on the streets without asking permission. <laughs> Yeah, it didn't turn out too well. Um, you won't catch me in any of those things, at least for another couple of years, or at least until uh, traffic regulators uh, give you know Uber the green light. You see what I did there? Green light. Now, remember, they got shut down when one of their prototypes got caught running through a red light uh, in front of a pedestrian. Of course, they got caught on camera, which made all the difference in the world. Um, and so after that incident, um, the DMV in the U.S., um, instructed them to take all those self-driving cars off the road. I wonder what they'll have to do to prove to the DMV that they're indeed safe. Um, but seriously, though, I'm, I'm genuinely rooting for this driverless car thing to become a thing. I personally hate driving, and I, I totally enjoy the, the ride-sharing ride vibe. Um, I could live with it be, becoming, you know, like a mainstream thing, you know. So uh, the only thing is I reckon if you're building a career around driving for Uber or Little or Taxify or Zebra Cabs if you're in South Africa or, or someone like that, uh, you need to be asking yourself what next when they eventually replace you with a little black box. Hmm. You know, it's definitely something to think about. And finally, what a couple of months Amazon has had, right? My goodness. Um, you know, a lot is made of Steve Jobs' contribution to consumer tech. But man, this Jeff Bezos dude is a beast. I mean, first, you know, last November, Amazon Prime Video finally went global uh, to give Netflix some serious competition. It came to the party with some brilliant award-winning content that's wowing fans and critics alike. And then in December, Bezos announced that Amazon had made its first commercial drone delivery uh, to a shopper based in Cambridge, England. And of course, um, uh, I must remind everybody that Africa did beat Amazon to the whole commercial drone delivery uh, buzzer. And so whoopee for us. But hey, uh, in fairness, I have to sort of admit the, the, the regulatory hurdles a company like Amazon uh, has had to overcome just to get, you know, that delivery done. So congratulations, still in order. Um, but uh, for me, the, uh, the absolute kicker has to be Amazon's killer bid to dominate the world's uh, $25 trillion retail industry. And they did this by demonstrating what the future of brick-and-mortar shopping is likely to look like by launching a 1,800-square-foot store. Now, they've called it Amazon Go, uh, which is a fitting name. This experimental store is based in Seattle, and it just lets people walk into the store, wave their phones to let themselves in, and then just grab stuff off the shelves and walk out. You have to hand it to Jeff Bezos. Some boss moves of the last couple of months, definitely keeping things interesting from a headlines perspective. And so that about does it for our roundup of all the biggest headlines that dominated the festive season. Now, as many of you know, at the beginning of each year, the world's largest tech conference goes down in Las Vegas. Uh, that's, of course, CES, the Consumer Electronics Show. Now, if you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, which, of course, I encourage you to do, 
then you'll know that this year we teamed up with the Swazi Bridge Project to bring you Africa-focused highlights from the expo. And they came courtesy of Nicholas Stewart, who is CEO and founder of the Swazi Bridge Project. Uh, Nicholas and his uh, family live in the Washington, D.C. area, but his heart is well and truly here on the continent. He travels between Swaziland and the U.S. quite frequently, and I'm very pleased that I'll have him on the show in a moment uh, to discuss some of the most important issues uh, he encountered at CES 27. Some deep, some not so deep, um, but um, it's all gravy, as they say, so take a listen. Well, look, let's uh, let's jump into the best of CES. Uh, That almost rhymes. (laughs) So let's start with some of the, the, the softer issues, the, the, less, um, the less serious things that um, CS has come to be. I mean, it is the consumer uh, electronics show. So, I sure. mean, it is consumer-driven, tons of fridges, lots of TVs, mm-hmm. uh, uh, lots of things people love to crave or covet. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, we, won't go, we won't judge that. Uh, sure. But uh, tell me what kind of stood out for you in terms of, like, your visits. What was really cool? What caught your eye? Um, one of the things that definitely stopped me in my tracks, I was walking uh, through one of the showroom floors and came across a Sony television that is thinner than my index finger. And I stopped to take a look at it and I took a picture of it and I said, well, you know, this the, the camera by itself without any perspective next to it doesn't really capture it. So how can I figure that out? So I actually put my finger on the uh, one of the corners of the television from the side, and it, the TV was literally thinner than my index finger. Um, and the, the picture quality was very vivid and stunning. Uh, it was very impressive to see just... Because I have a, I have a, a flat-paneled Samsung television, uh, and it's probably three or four inches thick, and... You know, that's kind of been... And you uh, thought that you you yeah. thought you were the man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You thought you were yeah. balling. <laughs> yeah. But this TV was uh, about a half an inch uh, uh, thick. Uh, so very impressed with that. Well, um, I'll only be impressed when you can roll it up like a yoga mat. How about yeah, that? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Definitely. I was actually... Oh, listen to the hate. <laughs> I, I was trying to rationalize it in my head. I was like, how could I, how could I justify this for my wife? Well... <laughs> I do have some back problems, so if the TV's thinner, that means it's lighter. So, oh, yeah. sweetheart, we have to get this TV because yeah, it'll that, be easier for me to move it. That's yeah, really, maybe. that's really, that's really sound science, right there. Uh, <laughs> oh. So, um, yeah, but then, um, then there's, I mean, so let's, so let's transition from that. So there's mm. a lot of stuff like that: new sure. phones, sure. Nokia announcing their new smartphone, yada yada yada. Right. Um, then somewhere along the line, um, there's a really interesting interview you had, and, and which I'm going to plug again mm. that people should go check out on our, sound, uh, on our, on our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. Uh, we'll probably share the, the, the podcast on our quick chats playlist as well in due, in due course, but go check it out there. You chatted to someone with an interesting SIM card that uh, could be pretty game-changing for... Um, those of us who are, have taken quite, quite readily to, um, to messaging. Yeah, so the company is uh, called uh, ChatSim, and I spoke to one of the co-founders. His name is Juan de la Copa. He's from Spain, uh, but their company is based in Italy. And what ended up happening, uh, how I came across them was I was um, 
doing some editing and things like that in the media area and decided to take a break and stretch my legs for a bit. So did some walking around on one of the showroom floors and I came across their booth and I saw it and it kind of caught my eye, but I wasn't really paying a lot of attention. But uh, on my way back, I stopped by again and uh, their advertisement says that they have coverage all over the world that they're in 150 different countries. And so I grabbed a, a quick flyer and then went back and continued my editing. When I got back to my uh, room that evening, I looked at the flyer and I was like, wow, I really got to uh, talk to these guys. So I went back and uh, set up the uh, interview appointment. So I was pretty blown away. Um, I'm not, I don't know that I'm terribly easy to impress. Uh, you know, a, a refrigerator with Wi-Fi doesn't really get me excited. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Um, but reading, reading about what they're doing, um, essentially in, in Swaziland, for example, the cost of data is very high and, and a lot of other parts of the continent as well. Um, they offer a SIM card that is good for Android iPhones and windows phones as well. Uh, it's $15 a year and 15 us dollars. Yes. 15 us. Yep. Um, and that allows you to use apps like uh, WhatsApp, uh, Facebook Messenger, WeChat, KO Talk, uh, BlackBerry Messenger, and a few others. Unlimited text message and unlimited emojis for $15 a year. And the price point was really the thing that caught my attention the most to be able to go around the high cost of data and having to pay for text message per use and things like that. Um, it, during the interview, I wanted to clarify, are, am I paying for airtime on top of the SIM card from the local provider or how is this working? And what he, yeah. what Juan explained to me was um, they have roaming agreements with uh, carriers in 150 different countries. And so the $15 per year is the only fee that you have to pay for texting and emoji um, using those messaging services. Uh, they do have uh, sort of a premium plans where if you wanted to send pictures uh, or make uh, WhatsApp calls, you could buy additional uh, credits on top of the $15 a year. But Do you buy them through your carrier or do you buy them through... You buy them through, through, them. through the uh, chat sim directly. Um, okay. I think he's onto something, you know, in a way, because, I mean, there's a lot, you know, the, I mean, Africa is obviously leading the world in terms of, like, mobile penetration, uh, you know, um, but it's often overstated just how many in terms of, like, volume, mm. uh, how many Africans are actually, you know, have actually adopted uh, new technologies or are even ready, uh, ready for it in terms of affordability or access. You know, there's still, um, there's still t basically millions you know sure. hundreds of millions of africans and, and and other people in other parts of the developing world that aren't nearly as ready as you know the rest of us more affluent um, mm. world citizens to you know to basically enjoy the best of the web on you know on mobile and for them i see this really as a as a quite an interesting proposition um it'd be interesting to me how he plans to take it to market what's in it for the um what's in it for the carriers mm. if he succeeds um um, there's obviously a timeline in which this is going to be hot after a while. I mean, the world will move on, you know, sure. I'm sure. 
So it's, I'm sure there's a lot of there's time sensitivity to his idea. Hmm. Um, yeah, what, what do you make of it? Uh, do you, do you I, like the idea? Do you think it's do you think it's interesting? Do you think it could catch on? I like it quite a bit um, for a few different reasons. One of them is it allows just basic communication to be much more affordable. Um, and I'm, I, I look at it from two perspectives. I look at it as my, from my perspective as someone who travels. Um, for example, when my wife and I are in South Africa this upcoming summer, um, by simply swapping out the SIM cards in our regular phones, we'll be able to use WhatsApp to communicate with each other the same way that we do now, or Facebook Messenger, things like that. But even for uh, local Africans, it's an opportunity to have uh, more affordable communication. And uh, they have uh, maybe 10 or so different uh, chat messaging services that they're currently using. But the way that their company is set up, if the next big chat service comes out, they can add that model to their services. Yeah. So uh, as far as the evolving cycle of, of what's popular to communicate on as far as platforms, they can definitely keep up with that. Um, as far as their distribution, they're launching their first beta store um, in an airport in Europe. And airports, from what they were explaining, an airport kiosk model is going to be one of their uh, prime distribution ways. But they're also going to be doing local franchising and distributing where uh, different folks in uh countries around the world can contact them and become uh, partner models. Resellers. Yep. Yeah. So I think that's, that's a potential from an entrepreneurship standpoint. It's, I like the service. I like this, uh, what it delivers to users, but it's, it also enables people to sort of get in on the business without having to develop the idea or the infrastructure themselves. So, yeah. Uh, encourage to see what happens maybe maybe it's a business you could uh, maybe people should give them a shout and see it might might be worth your while to to build a business or basically add it to a business offering you already have if you're already in that kind of business um, around the continent let us know if it's of any interest to you and uh, of course we'll we'll make sure all the details are available um, on our Facebook page of course as well as on um, africantechroundup.com so it was uh so one more light thing and then maybe we'll move on and um sure. you tried out uh, vr goggles for the very first time uh, i'm jealous uh, only not because i haven't tried vr oh. before i'm i've tried uh, everything samsung has to offer which is pretty great for at a consumer level um but you tried the very very high-end stuff you know so tell us a little bit about that and 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 Given your expectation, I was following you on, on social leading up to it. You were really excited about mm. VR and trying it for the first time. For someone who had super high expectations and really excited to try mm. it, what did you make of it? Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm a science fiction fan, uh, kind of a nerd in that respect, which I'm proud of, so that's okay. Uh, big uh, Star Trek kind of guy. And so conceptually, technologies like VR are things that you know, I've kind of seen sort of fantasized on television for a couple decades now. Um, so the fact that these things that I grew up as a kid that kind of gave a futuristic look into what space travel could be and things like that are, are now starting to come to fruition. I was definitely excited. And there have been a lot of attempts over the past, I don't know, handful of years to really develop and launch VR. 
but it seems that really maybe 2015, 2016, uh, VR has kind of taken off as being the hot thing in the tech world. A lot of big companies are investing resources behind it, Microsoft, Apple, uh, Facebook, uh, even Google. I mean, you live in a big metro like D.C. Give me a sense mm-hmm. of how excited people are, like the everyday people, you know what I mean? Because, I mean, we see the companies get excited, mm-hmm. but it's part of it's, it's sure. important PR for companies to have like, you know, a space race that they, you know, a, sure. a, a push towards something they like that that sort of uh, sells them as being at the forefront of innovation. Sure. And I feel like VR is a, is that for a lot of companies, even though I'm not convinced of its viability as a, a you know, the business that could be sure. the business that could come out of it. And I'm sure. not I'm not blind to the potential if mm. people take to it, but I don't sure. know how, if if at all, people are taking to it. Like in a place like DC, sure. surely you should sense uh, that um, this, this could be the next big thing. Will it be? Is it? Um, I, I think as far as the size of scope that it will have, that still remains to be seen only because the business model itself is still something that has to be ironed out. And what I mean by that is so, um, like you were saying, a lot of these companies are investing resources into it. I don't know at this point that... Uh, there's been a lot of consumer adoption yet. There's a handful of things behind that. So, so you've got some of the companies like Samsung and Google that are doing uh, VR using mobile devices. That's a lot uh, more affordable because it's a device you already have, uh, comparatively affordable. Uh, some of those phones right. are still pretty expensive. Um, but then at the other end of the spectrum, you have uh, Microsoft's HoloLens. And I'm a, a you know kind of a tech-oriented guy, the computer that I own is not strong enough to power HoloLens. So uh, with something like that, you're looking at having to not only spend hundreds of dollars on the system itself, but also hundreds of dollars buying a computer that can actually operate the system. Uh, And then uh, to complicate that, the, the cost factor even further, the platform designers, the game makers, there's not a whole lot of content out there yet. So what developers are going to make content for which platforms, that's kind of a yet to be seen. How much are those games going to cost? If I already spent $800 purchasing a computer and the system, do I want to spend another 50 or $100 purchasing a game? I do think... On the consumer adoption level, the PlayStation VR um, is going to help to penetrate that because that, the barriers to entry are a lot easier. You're not having to purchase a lot of sensors. Um, the PlayStation in the U.S. is already a device that a lot of consumers are using. It's, some, it's a platform that they're already familiar with. It's just a new sort of attachment for that platform. So mm. I think that's going to help. Um, I think if, if VR is here to stay, it really needs to make some consumer. It's going to need to find ways to like um, go mainstream in ways that aren't going to like ruin us <laughs> if we're going to adopt this thing. Is it going to be um, a movie theater type of uh, experience where you and a few friends go to a movie theater uh, or to a, to a venue and do it all together uh, for a flat fee? Um, is it going to be people purchasing these things in their homes? That one, the home model, I'm a little more skeptical to. Um, even an example. So 
um, I have some friends who are gamers. I'm not a super big gamer myself, uh, but mm-hmm. um, they play a lot of these larger platform games online with their Xbox. Well, that requires you and your friends to have the same system at your house. Well, the problem when you're talking VR, what if I have a HoloLens, but you have the PlayStation VR? Can those two platforms, can we play the same game at the same time? And let's talk about how all your friends have to be filthy rich. Correct. <laughs> They're correct. basically no, no poor friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I, think, I think a public space model is, uh, is more likely to succeed than the at-home model. But even that's got its challenges, though, Nick. I mean, the whole movie-watching experience, which is under threat now thanks to Netflix and other things, mm-hmm. a whole bunch of things, really. That The internet, mobile, all sorts of things. Sure is under threat. Um, part of how cool it is, is like the, the sort of communal experience of like watching mm. a movie, ex- experiencing with a lot of people. And, and VR is everything. It basically takes you in yourself even further. You know what I mean? Which, sure. which is, which is a tough thing. Mm. Well, look, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a hater. I've enjoyed, I know it's, it's enjoyable technology. It's fun to see, um, how far this stuff can go. Mm. Um, uh, widespread adoption obviously w- promises to bring down price points and make it su- something for everybody, which is I, that's the kind of technology I lean towards, and I know you lean mm. towards really um, the, yeah. the kind that's not just cool but really cool for everybody. Yeah. Which um, it may just become, um, but certainly not for a while here on the continent. Now, sure. speaking more directly about Africa-centric issues that were touched on at CES that, you know, um, fintech featuring quite big this year, yeah? And um, Africa is, is uh, I suppose, leading the way in many respects with, with regards to our innovation in that space. Tell me about what you, what you picked up in as far as fintech and, and the hopes people are pinning on, on it delivering inclusion in ways that we, we, we probably haven't seen in decades past. Uh, one of the things that I was most excited about were checking out some of the panels that were around fintech that they had at CES. Uh, there was one specifically on unleashing the high-tech power of the underbanked, and it had four panelists. Uh, one of them was the founder and chief innovation officer for uh, Nucleus Software, which is a, a company that seeks to provide software services and things of that nature around the world. Um, I think three out of the four panelists were doctors, so they were definitely uh, very knowledgeable um, in, in this space. We talked a lot about some of the barriers to banking uh, in developing nations and even not just in developing nations, but one of the case studies that they discussed was apparently a high portion of Uber drivers in the United States, uh, New York specifically, didn't have bank accounts. So a lot of the uh, folks who wanted to drive for Uber didn't have bank accounts. And so Uber came up with a solution where they, in essence, became the bank themselves. They started issuing debit cards, uh, Uber debit cards, where they would uh, pay out their drivers on those cards directly and they could use them for e-purchases. So it's interesting to see models where corporations that aren't in the banking business, Walmart, for example, is another one that has similar models where they're crossing into the finance area to kind of serve a need. 
their traditional banking. And it's interesting how Africa's been doing it, though, right? Absolutely. And in my mind, that's always been one of the beautiful things about technology in its ability to really to take an idea from inception and to create it by sitting behind a keyboard, by identifying a problem and coming up with a solution to it. Uh, it I think in, in years past, the idea of a random person starting a bank is kind of an absurd one. How would I even go about starting a bank? Where would I get my branches? How do I get the technology? Those things like that. Um, but now with... Uh, now it's like, don't even call it a bank. Just, you know, yep. help people <laughs> pass money around, definitely, definitely. create a wallet and pay for stuff. One of the things that I did discuss with a couple of folks while I was there was uh, sort of some of the fintech solutions that have been in uh, on the continent, such as M-Pesa and some of those other solutions. Um, E-Connect. And, yeah. In my mind, there's still a disconnect in that the solutions are good because they're solving a need, but they're regional solutions that don't necessarily communicate cross-platform. And it is important to always have solutions that are uh, developed for the specific ecosystem. But when you're talking about the digital divide, there's a difference between access and inclusion. So yeah. if yeah. I if I can pay for groceries it, in my market, that's fine and that's one thing, but that's not the same thing as being able to do commerce with a neighboring African country if those ecosystems don't exist as well. Absolutely. And so there are a few, Absolutely. There are a few startups that are looking at uh, developing some cross-platform solutions where they take the existing services and products that are out there and allow them to communicate with one another. And I'm excited about some of those. Which also, I mean, interesting you should mention that, which... Um... Which makes what happened uh, in Senegal, and I can't remember the other African country, but Senegal, you know, launching that um, e-currency of theirs mm. um, quite significant. Um, the rationale being in part that they needed to find a way, they need to find a way for the various um, mobile money services offered in that country by the various mobile telcos and others. Mm. Uh, they needed to find a way to actually have everything work seamlessly, right, um, within the country. And you, you're taking it even broader. I mean... We should be in a position to use mobile money cross-border. So we're probably much closer to seeing that happen than, say, a country like the U.S., to be honest, right? Uh, I'm not sure because in our perspective at the U.S., there are already a lot of different platforms like PayPal, for example. where Oh, yeah, and of course Visa and stuff like yeah. that. But, I mean, okay, I suppose the difference is um, – the difference is here, I suppose, that uh, a lot of the mobile money uh, in, uh, innovation hasn't come from the finance, from the legacy finance space. So you've got players that haven't traditionally been in finance now becoming serious players within mobile money, Definitely. and um, and yeah, they for for the most part haven't needed to lean on uh, you know legacy players, and now there there are quite a few of these players that need to sort of you know, start to, to work together in order to provide like the end, the customer a seamless sure. experience. What I would love to see ideally is the ability for someone to pay for something on Amazon using M-Pesa, a system where, again, those, those solutions that are regionally based can be used across the continent of Africa and across and around the world. Um, we, again, when you're talking about true digital inclusion, that also means for me to be able to uh, 
build a service or product in Swaziland and be able to to sell it in Nigeria um, online in, a, in an easy way. Um, and it's the fact that things have developed regionally. I think some of them are intentional because you've got some of the telecommunications companies that are developing these mobile money solutions. They're incentivized to kind of keep a fenced wall, if you will. Uh, so they have yeah. more control and more revenue things. But from yeah. a computer science standpoint, you're just talking about getting code to communicate with each other. It's definitely doable from a technological standpoint. You're looking at... I mean, Bitcoin, Bitcoin fans would be like, but, but of course, mm -hmm. I mean, sure. uh, cryptocurrency, come on. Bitcoin's like waiting to fill the gap. It's performed well over the last year. Still flying high. Some sense of bubble... Um, about to burst, but did it factor at all at, at, in any of the discussions you, you attended? There was some discussion of Bitcoin, but one of, the, one of the limitations of Bitcoin is what vendors will accept that currency. It, it allows you to send money uh, internationally from a person-to-person -person standpoint, but if I can't pay my electric bill with Bitcoin, does it meet those basic needs? Um, yeah. if I can't pay for my groceries with Bitcoin. And I, and I do know when it first came out, there were some hotels who would take Bitcoin and things like that uh, globally. I'm not sure how many of those are still accepting it. Um, so the idea of cryptocurrency hasn't been embraced as readily as, as, as it Because, I mean, it's, it's in principle the blockchain and, and, and potentially mm -hmm. the, it's, it's, its potential to basically allow us to sign value. It, Bitcoin is... is just one of the, the currencies available. Sure. But I mean, the, the concept of cryptocurrency, I think, freaks out legacy players to the point where it might be a while before that becomes a thing, I guess. It does. And there's also a generational divide. Um, a lot of, you're seeing millennials, the way that money has gone from physical currency to having like a check to mm -hmm. then having debit cards Plastic. and things. Yeah. yeah. I don't... Um, I don't own a checkbook. My wife has one, um, <laughs> but I don't even, yes, yeah, I'm not even sure where it is. I don't know the last time that we've used it. Uh, so I think the digital currency model is something that will be adopted as younger folks continue to get older and be, make up a larger market share of consumers um, because you, you have different applications and platforms where a group of friends can go out to dinner and instead of dividing the check up by pulling their wallets out and splitting up money, they'll pull out their phones and transfer money electronically to pay for the check. Yeah. Uh, whatever solutions that are developed, it, they have to work. And I think that's the biggest thing because I still use a card myself. Um, I rarely carry cash on me, uh, but whatever solutions have to work. And they have to work everywhere. Many, many thanks to Nicholas Stewart of the Swazi Bridge Project for joining me on the show. Now, be sure to follow his organization's moves on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Swazi Bridge Project. Uh, on Twitter, they're at Swazi Bridge or just visit their website at swazibridgeproject.org. Their passion for trying to bridge the digital divide in Swaziland is, is actually uh, quite admirable and uh, we certainly wish them all the best. My full conversation with Nicholas will be published on the Quick Tech Chats playlist, which you can find at africantechroundup.com. And of course, if you missed um, any of the sights, sounds and interviews that Nicholas published while he was at CES 2017, you'll find them all at facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. That's facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. 
And so one last time, many thanks to GoDaddy for sponsoring this episode of the African Tech Roundup. Now, uh, remember, you can buy uh, your own domain name, build your site, or use any of GoDaddy's business tools and save 30% at trygodaddy.com forward slash African Tech. That's trygodaddy.com forward slash African Tech. So that's it for this week. I look forward to having you join me again on the show next week on africantechroundup.com. But for now, I'm Andile Masugu. Until next time, do take care, Africa. Thank you.